We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have on the program today, Janet Hale. She is passionate about supporting educators and making curriculum decisions that ensure, enhance, enrich learning and teaching experiences. So she specializes in curriculum mapping, curriculum design using various models and frameworks, standards, literacy and alignment, and documenting learning to assist schools, districts, dioceses, higher ed programs, and educational organizations and businesses with their curriculum. Besides her own consultancy, she's also a member of the Global School Consultant Group and works with clients worldwide to aid them in their curriculum decisions to create innovative learning environments while ensuring alignments to standards and accountability needs. She has written several professional books published by ASCD and Corwin Press that focus on curriculum mapping, upgrading units of study, and documenting learning. So, you are a veritable expert in this area, and we are excited to have you here, Janet. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited about being here and talking about standards literacy and all things around standards. 
<laughs> Some people are super big nerds and get really excited about that. And that's why I wanted to have you on the program, because I think that as we can better prioritize what we are teaching kids, we're going to be more successful for sure. I want to talk to you today also about personalizing learning and how that works with prioritizing standards, especially with things like competency-based approaches and things like that, because that opens the door for prioritization and for mastery in a much, much different, and in my opinion, much better way. So let's start by just talking about why we need to be literate in the standards and why we need to prioritize them first and foremost. Okay. So first of all, let you know, I am one of those nerds. I'm very excited about this topic and conversation. And I really like the fact that you brought in the whole idea of personalized learnings, competency space, because some people don't think those two can come together and, and mold and match where I pleasantly disagree with that. I think it's what you do with them. So to answer your first question, there are too many standards. It it doesn't matter what set of standards you use. Most of the time, there are too many. When I say most of the time, there might be some standards, for example, physical education standards and some others that, that are much more less, if you will, than something like ELA or math and science, et cetera. First of all, you always have to be taking it into context of what particular discipline you're focusing on. But let's just go ahead and just take the generalized core areas of math and ELA. Again, doesn't matter if it's common core, your state standards, whomever, there's a lot of them. When you're asking about this idea of personalized learning and making things more competency-based, in this work that I've been doing now over 20 years, it's pretty amazing what teachers First of all, don't understand about standards. Um, there was a big movement in the late 90s, early 2000s, where everybody was inging, as I say it. You were unpacking, you were um, unwrapping, you were doing all kinds of inging, which was great. But that's making the assumption you already know what you're working with. So I think kind of a classic thing we hear is we go through pre-K or K to second grade and we're learning to read. And then in third grade, we're reading to learn. So that era kind of reminded me of that idea that we just sort of jumped to third grade and we started inging this idea that we're reading with an understanding already of what we're reading. What I find in all the work that I have done over these years is that there is quite often the the real standards of literacy piece missing. In other words, how do you really read a standard? How do you really look at it in a broken apart fashion and, and make some decisions around that? I haven't had a group yet that I've met that so that it didn't help them better understand um, what that work is that they have been doing and even maybe redirect that. So the first piece to me is it's kind of laying that foundation. So kind of think of it as um, looking at the standards from a new viewpoint and really looking at them structurally versus what is it really either explicitly saying or um, inference. So that's where it begins. Uh, With that, once they do have that, then it's this idea like you were saying about if we're having a competency-based environment, we have to all come to agreement on which ones are prioritized to the most importance. And that's where another whole layer of this begins. And that is how do we decide that? And how do we create a lens of commonality in which we are deciding whether we like a standard or not? Can't be because I like it or don't like it. It really has to have some lenses by which we decide how are we prioritizing these standards for competency-based learning or a general traditional classic learning as well. Yeah. And I I think first and foremost here, this question of what 
what it actually means matters a lot. One of my challenges as a teacher and as an administrator has been when there's so little variance, especially in English language arts between sixth and eighth grade, there's such small pieces that are different. It's hard to know what really matters and, and what the progression is between those grades. And in some situations, they're exactly the same. And so if they're exactly the same, in which grade do you prioritize that? And, and what I hear you saying, Janet, is that that needs to come down and be a local decision within the school or the district and not something that the state is saying, this one is the most important. Because if they were saying that, we wouldn't have as many standards, right? Yeah, I think there's actually two things that you kind of said within there. So to answer your first question, yes, there is those nuances across the grade levels. And, and that is something that what, what I find even just on some of those even minor nuances or major there's not even an agreement on what terms are. So for example, if people know the Common Core well or something born birthed from the Common Core, you know, what does cite and quote mean? What's the difference between that? Uh, it's interesting, uh, especially when you start talking about it from cross-disciplinary environments. An ELA teacher, how they perceive cite and quote can look different than a science or social studies teachers who also are supposed to be using somewhat those same standards. They have their literacy and standards. But the idea is that, like you said, there, there is that conversation, the nuance along with that piece of, you know, how are we going to really actually prioritize it? And, and I think that, that for me, th- those are some really great dialogues and conversations. And the, the second side of that is we are in a unique situation in the United States because we are really 50 independent United States. Therefore, there are no national standards. I don't know if that's something that some of your listeners are are really thinking about, but that is why we don't have national standards. They have to be adopted per state. They might call them national, but they aren't literally because we aren't allowed to have those based on our democratic Republican society. So you asked me, you know, is it better for or should the LEA, the local educational association, be the ones really making the decision? I think yes. The only problem is, is that until we can get away from state testing, we, we always have sort of that idea of we want to really go off and do things the way we want to, whether we're a private school, charter school, public school, whatever school we are. Uh, maybe we're not even going to define ourselves as a school. But if a state is still, d- d- you know, and I do think with the pandemic, things are changing with what is important to measure on a on a state level. But the point is is that we have to still consider that. But one of the things I really try to do when I work with teachers is I try to go ahead and say that there really isn't a need to depend on that too greatly. Because if you depend on it um, too greatly, then we're missing the point of what it really means to to be student focused. And what do I mean by that? So on any given day, month, year, it's not about taking a test. It's about living in society. To me, when I do actually use those lenses I referred to earlier, on any test, any time, which is something from Larry Ainsworth's work, is something that, that I do want everyone to consider, but it isn't the top priority consideration. And it's something that we want to look at from a, a framework of leverage, or is this really helping students be lifelong learners, et cetera. So I think I, I do agree with you. I'd like to definitely have it stay within a school district level and not be um, dictated by the state. Now, you'll know a lot of times states though do say these are what we consider the most critical, which again then translates into that means most likely they're going to be on um, an assessed environment.
John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I created a new podcast with my friend Frederick Lane called Cybertraps. We are exploring the myriad risks and adverse consequences that can arise from the use and misuse of digital devices and electronic communication tools. Please subscribe to the Cybertraps podcast, and if you like it, please give us a rating. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Eric Stevens on the value of identity and being ethical in our work with underserved populations. If I approach my research with the intention of helping a group of people, but I'm using the data that they themselves have created and have been replicated by their, their own personal identity, replicated over and over and over and over, my research is already flawed ethically. Some people, that's not a big thing. For me, it was problematic because I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting people, but I still wanted to help. What I ended up creating was I wanted to understand the prison system at the language level across time um, and across space in the United States. Um, Basically, I wanted to understand if we send a person to prison, we're sending them to a correctional facility um, with correctional officers. And we give them handbooks to say, hey, this is what you should be doing. What I wanted to answer was at the language level with the technical documents that we hand to um, an inmate, what are we correcting them to? To what standard are we asking them to be at the language level? Check out more from this interview at cybertraps.com slash seven. Many years ago, I read The Gift of Failure by Jessica Leahy. I interviewed her several years ago also, and I'm interviewing her again today. And it's amazing to me to watch people grow. I love watching principals grow in the mastermind that I run. I'd love to see you in there as well and help you grow to be the best version of yourself possible. Please join us. Go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that personalization and competency approach. And if one of the ways that I've explained how this could work, because the reality is kids don't care about the standards, only the adults do. Instead of trying to say, here's what you need to learn and here's how you need to learn it. If we instead follow behind them and see where they have 
where they have mastered a specific standard, then we can say, for example, this nine-year-old student can write grammatically correct sentences and she can explain how something works in a way that is satisfactory. Can we take that standard and say, based on this assessment where we we saw that she could do this, we can just say that's good and and we can pass her off on that? Or is it more complex than that kind of an approach? Uh, well, I think the, the whole idea of assessments around standard, standards-based assessment is a whole conversation, again, where teachers don't necessarily have the literacy around how to build assessment items around the standards. Uh, a good example to address what you're saying is I work a lot, we'll just say with the ELA area, just because we've been kind of mentioning that, is the teachers are, are thinking they're following what the standards are asking for, maybe something around characterization or, or plot within a particular story in a, in a literary uh, text. Yet when they actually do the instruction and when they do the assessment, they actually use the same book or literature piece that they were using in the instructional side. Problem is, is then you're really assessing their ability to instruct, not the student's ability to transfer into a totally new environment because that's what the standard's really asking for. And that really blows teachers' minds away sometime when I talk about that, because if we're measuring standards, um, we have to think about the ability to have transferability. So example from there, I have a special ed background, and I can remember for years working with special needs students, you might show them how to read a thermometer, let's say, and the thermometer is uh, black and white because you kind of created this little homemade piece to kind of help them see it and they can move it, right? And then you show them an actual thermometer with red kind of representing the mercury. They can't read it because they don't have the ability to transfer to a totally new environment, even though it's the same concept. So it's that same kind of thing. So when we start thinking about around competencies or can they actually meet that standard, my question is, can they meet it in a truly transferable way? That to me says a, a child is truly competent when it's exactly the same thing done the same way, using the same materials, that's often why students don't do well on state testing, actually, because teachers will say they do so well on the assessments we built in our school or in our district. And then all of a sudden they take this on you know, the state one and they don't do well. Well, it's probably have, it's probably dealing with that transferability. And so it goes back to what you were saying, that the idea is if, if, a, if a student can really do well with it, then that should be the measure that's needed. And I, I 100% agree with that. I think it's the challenge for teachers and administrators is creating environments that allow for that. That's a whole piece of, to me, really having a standards-based environment is, is making sure students understand, the teachers understand that it's the students are the ones that have to own the learning. Um, like you said, it, they don't care about the standard. They just want to do whatever they want to do that they love to do. And so if you can kind of bring it into that environment that allows them to, to show that in whatever way, shape, form they want, that, that's even better. And we know that that's not necessarily the case in everybody's environment. But if we can create environments that allow them to really own their ability to transfer, I think that makes a really huge difference. Yeah. And transferability isn't something that I had thought of in the way that you just explained it, but it's something that I've always believed. If you can only perform when the situation, the the circumstances are perfect for you to perform, that's really not performing at all. If you can kick a 55-yard field goal in practice, in football practice, then that's all well and good, but it doesn't matter until you're actually in the game and the guys are rushing at you trying to block it that you can actually 
that it actually matters. I think with learning, it's it's the same kind of thing that if you if you can do fine, you know, filling out a worksheet and getting the right answers on the worksheet, but then you can't go to the same exact thing, then it's not really going to be beneficial. I had an interview a couple of weeks ago with Ira Sokol, who uh, was a, a technology director, and he shared how the three weeks leading up to the state test, the school, instead of doing prep work for the state test, <laughs> they built movable tree houses in the cafeteria. And so they did this project that was a great math lesson. And the kids who had for a long time never been successful in math actually were successful because that was actually transferable knowledge that when they went to take the test, things actually were a lot easier for them because they had a real life experience with the math that they had never experienced in that school before. And I 100% agree with you. And and that's the kind of thinking that needs to happen. And like, and again, I think any kind of a performance environment, like you brought up the idea of a football game, helps context. Like another one I always think of too is like, like I don't know about about you, but for me, I can remember back in driver's ed a long, long time ago, we were one of the first ones that had the kind of like the simulation things. I hope I didn't, you know, hurt a child or run over a dog in the simulation. But even if I got really good in that simulation, when I get in the vehicle and now I'm dealing with actual stoplights, can I really transfer all of those skills that I had to think about in that simulation in a real environment? And I think that's what I'm finding a lot of schools and teachers and districts that are really trying to make more student-centered learning is trying to give them real world environments. I was just talking with a school um, recently about trying to create... um, again, standards-based assessments, but have a real audience. We're hearing more and more about because writing something for my teacher or even for you know my classmates is not a real audience. It's really starting to think out of the box or at least out of our school building, brick and mortar, how can we do those things in a more meaningful way? I think we even have to be more so creative right now, given where we are with virtual learning as kind of the, the, the norm at the moment. But, you know, how can we start thinking out of the box? Um, and, and that is one beautiful thing about the virtual environment, whether it's Zoom or others that someone's using, it's really easy. Like, like I only remember the book a few years ago that was famous around the world, and that's The World is Flat. It's gotten really flat because now you can meet with anybody as long as your time zones allow and have interactions. And I think that's really a great way to also bring that transferability in to, to this idea of it. Yeah, I was talking with a a student one time about um, about doing an assignment, and I said, "Well, it was a writing assignment." I said, "Well, who's your audience?" And he said, "I don't know." And I said, "Well, who's going to read this when you're done?" And he said, "Just my teacher." And I said, "Well, then you need to recognize that only your teacher is going to read this. So whatever you put in there, it doesn't matter because only your teacher is going to see it. Are you ever going to publish this anywhere else, or put it on a blog, or?" or on your Snapchat or anything like that? And he said, no, I'm only doing this because the teacher is assigning it. And I said, well, there you go. Write so that your teacher understands what you're saying because they have a purpose. And the kid was like, wait a minute. So you want me to write like my teacher's the audience? And I said, yeah, because she is. And, and he said, well, okay, I think I can do that. But but why am I, why would my teacher want to read this? And I said, that's a great question. You should ask her and have that conversation. Why does she want you to write this? And if you would be more motivated to write to, you know, an audience in your Snapchat, then, then talk to your teacher about doing that instead, because 
we don't really care how you do it. We care that you can demonstrate that you can do it. And once he he understood that, then it wasn't as agonizing for him to write because he was just writing to his teacher. And he did have that conversation with that teacher. And then she did start saying, well, maybe I could do this a little mm-hmm. bit different and start giving kids opportunities. And when I first started teaching, we started blogging in my classroom. And uh, these were uh, kids who had never thought that anybody else in the world would ever read their writing. And they were um, in a low-income school, an inner-city school. And once people started leaving comments, they they got real serious real fast because they knew that somebody was actually reading it. Yeah. Well, in the latest book that, that you mentioned that I've written some books, in the latest book that I wrote, which is a guide to documenting learning, uh, my colleague, um, Sylvia Talisano and I, we talk a lot about how in today's world we have to have that interaction because that that's really how we can discern if we have a reach that level of mastery or whatever term, you know, a school or district likes to use. Um, and, and those comments have to be meaningful and real to the students. So I, I totally agree with that. And I think, and I think it really, it doesn't take too much to figure out how it can be done. I think the, the problem sometimes that I find is the, uh, I guess the best way I can put it is the legality. Like there's a lot of places that don't allow blogging, um, for a public audience, for safety reasons, for the students. So, so you have to really start figuring out ways in which you can do that. And I think, you know, circling this back around to the standards, if you have a school or a district whose mission and vision is very much to have those kinds of environments that we're talking about, self-directed learning, um, having opportunities to have authentic audiences, et cetera, then we also have to look at the standards that we feel um, are the ones that are going to be prioritized that make the most sense for those kinds of environments and making sure that those are the ones that that the students really work toward and own. And and on that note, it's a it's a good point to raise that if you're like reciting the times tables in front of a group to provide an authentic audience, I don't think is really beneficial. Whereas reciting poetry that you created in front of someone or publishing it in an anthology or putting it on a blog or in a social media post, those have different levels of of meaningfulness. Somebody just standing up or reciting the times tables isn't isn't really that that beneficial, but somebody sharing something they, they create, that's what you do every time you write a book. That's what we all do as we're doing this podcast. That's what we're doing. So those are skills that we want people to develop and to be transferable. I was going to say, just if you think about the times table, when I think about mathematics, it has to be, you know, it has to be something that's going to be a better environment for a homeless puppy that needs to be taken from somewhere out in the woods to the center. Um, and so now my math skills are going to be applied to that as well as having empathy toward the animals, et cetera. Like you just said, some of it is is groundwork and figuring out that which students need as, as sort of a precursor to be able to do something that is worthwhile um, for themselves or for others. Very good. In closing, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? I do think that with right now, uh, the idea of what's happening with um, the COVID-19 and the, the fact that we are in the middle of a pandemic, a lot of teachers I'm hearing from and a lot of students are feeling like there's been a loss of lo- lot of lost time. We can't get to everything. So I think that something that principals can do even this week or next week is actually ask their students, what are they most wanting 
to learn about in this next half of the year? Because we're pretty much already in December. What is it that you, what's your passion about that even in the core areas, what is it that you want to grow and learn and get better at and find out and tap into that with the teachers um, instead of it being, we have to do everything because we know we can't. So um, if we're going to, even if we are a traditional, more traditional environment, I think asking students what they want to really learn about and what do they want to have important to them in the next um, months is a great way for something that you can do this week. And then I'm sure you can figure out what standards those would address. Yeah. Uh, And I think that that is great advice, no matter when you're doing it, because asking kids anytime is, is always a good thing. So very good advice. Thank you so much. If you would like to learn more from Janet, you can go to her website, curriculumdecisions.com or follow her on Twitter at Janet underscore Hale. And thank you again so much, Janet, for being part of Transformative Principle. Thank you so much for having me and just um, really enjoyed my time and and good luck with your uh, interviews that you have and all that you do to help others. Appreciate it. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash principal. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy, and it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time 
without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.